uh, on social media. Um, I think <clears throat> I um, have seen how it can become such a thoughtfully and carefully curated place. And that is a mode of expression. I think it's actually, in some places, actually a amazing form of artistic expression to even be a thoughtful curator. Um, but if you're only curating the best moments of your life and, and putting them out there, I think you can start to believe that that's the only part of your life worth sharing. Welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. This is Mimi. I'm here with Bridget. Hey, Bridget. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. It's the week of Thanksgiving um, and it doesn't feel like it. It feels like a weird week. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Around this time, I would like start getting ready for planning out my favorite race of the year the turkey trot and and getting a little nervous and getting like super serious about it. And I'm spending Thanksgiving in Arizona and was actually registered to run an in-person turkey trot. And then I just feel like it's really not a good idea. So I registered like over a month ago when maybe it would be okay, but it's just, you know, Hey, we're all adults. We're all going to make our own decisions, but I feel like it would be a little reckless of me to participate in such an event. So I'm going to do like a solo time trial type thing. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. We all got to do what we got to do. I agree. I love, I love the Silicon Valley Turkey Trot. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. One of my like favorite races of the year. Um, but not this year. So I don't know. Not I don't actually year. have any plans, but I kind of like the idea of doing a, a time trial. I've been having fun, um, like Strava segment searching and then just going, doing like all out efforts to try to get um, little course records. That's been my tiny <laughs> little delight lately. Yeah. You know, and the thing is like everyone here, we love running as much as the next person, but like you also don't have to run, like right. do whatever you want on Thanksgiving. <laughs> exactly. If this is, if this is the year that you take off from the turkey trot, then like, that's great. Take off from the turkey trot. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, I honestly like not to place too much judgment on people here. Um, but seeing some big races that have happened the last couple of weeks has, um, it's been pretty disappointing to see what's happening. Yeah. Quite honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all got to do our part to uh, listen to the CDC and, uh, you know, keep keep the gatherings to a minimum. And even if it feels like it's not risky, just any any optional risk like is not worth taking at this point. Absolutely not. Yep. Well, in other news, um, we got an email today from our friend Matt at UCAN who announced that they're having their their Black Friday sale, or I guess we should just call it their cyber sale which is 30% off the site. Um, you don't need a special discount code. You just go to UCAN um, to get 30% off all of your favorite things. I highly, highly, highly recommend stocking up. I'm super into all of their plant-based bars. Like at first I was weary about their new cherry berry flavor, but now I really love it. I brought a whole box with me to 
Arizona. Um, so make sure to take advantage of this cyber sale. Go to UCAN and as I wrote back to Matt, I will be buying all the things. Yes. And you can buy all the things as well. Yeah. Perfect gift and like 30% off is amazing. So yeah. stock up. Yeah. Stock up. So this week's episode is with our friend, Andrew Stinger. Andrew is a soul cycle instructor, but as we talk about in the episode, he is so much more than that. He has worked in the tech industry for a number of years. He's currently at Coda. He has balanced the life of being a full-time uh, employee in tech with being a soul cycle instructor at times, just doing the soul cycle thing. Um, I met him at Soul Cycle, but I actually it turns out we were the same year at Columbia. So we have that connection. We all three of us actually ran the Boston Marathon in 2017, which is just a really fun thing. Um, and Andrew is just one of those people where he's he's so positive, he's so fun to be around. He just like exudes radiance in any room he steps into, but he's also incredibly vulnerable and open about the struggles that he goes through and that we can all relate to. And you know, isn't you're not gonna open his Instagram and like see a lot of you're going to see a lot of smiley, happy pictures of him in Speedos. We talk yep. about that a lot, <laughs> but it's, it's not just that. It's not just all the good things. And I think that was what drew me to Andrew five years ago when I first met him at SoulCycle initially was that vulnerability. Totally. After recording this episode, like I used to go to SoulCycle a ton when I was in New York and haven't been in a long time. And I went to his class on Saturday because I was like, I just need more Andrew in my life. Um, You know, I think he's someone who uh, was kind of forced to, you know, he he talks about it, but he has a a chronic... untreatable disease, uh, Gillian-Barr disease, which I might be mispronouncing that. Am I saying that right? I don't know. Um, and, and how that kind of had to shifted his whole identity and his whole story around being an athlete. Um, and I think has forced him to see that like, sometimes the story that you want is not the story that you get, but it doesn't make it any less wonderful. And if you just embrace it and say like, this is the story that I have today and I'm going to do my best to tell it and to live it, you know, with my whole heart and not be wishing for something else. Um, and I think that energy, especially now, but always is just the exact kind of mentality that, that we all should strive to, to, to have. Absolutely. He's just such a joy. Um, he's highly recommend if you're in the Bay Area, he teaches at Palo Alto at San Jose, go to his class, tell him that you heard him on Runners of the Bay, yeah. be his best friend, and then we'll all go to Soul Cycle together. And by the way, like SoulCycle is doing like an amazing COVID friendly um, at, I'm sure at all of their locations. But like when I went to Stanford, I was like amazed because I'm thinking like, no way am I doing a like group fitness class, but they do it in the parking lot. So it's all outside. And then it's like a quiet disco. So you just put headphones in. We talk about it a little bit in the episode, but I thought like, wow, what a cool way to transition this community into something that works in for this time period, this very unique, crazy, bizarre time period. Um, and it was so fun. It was like just a whole different soul cycle energy, but, um, but all the good feels nonetheless. And it felt kind of extra special too. Yeah. It is great. I really appreciate how serious they've been taking all of this. Um, So yes, go get your quiet disco on. And with that, (laughs) enjoy this episode with Andrew Stinger. 
Hello, Andrew. Welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. How are you? I am living the dream. Thanks for having me, guys. We're so happy to have you here. Um, So for the uninitiated, Andrew Stinger is here with us today. He is a soul cycle instructor, but he is so much more than that. Um, We'll talk a little bit more about the work you do, but you've, I know over the time that I've met you, you've worked at like YouTube, Facebook, just, just to name a few, you you talked about, you're now working at, at Coda. I think you've done a lot of exciting things and have always maintained a job while also (laughs) being part of soul cycle because you love, I'm going to put words in your mouth, but because you love that community as well. Um, and we've known each other now, uh, We've officially known each other for like five years, but we yeah. um, we went to college together un- unknowingly and graduated the same year. So long history together. Um, so we're just honored to have you here today. Um, I'm so stoked. Um, and you put very accurate words in my mouth. I do love Great. our, our soul fam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the ways we, we like to get started is just tell us about a typical day in your life right now. In, in our current uh, paradigm. Yeah. <laughs> in these yeah, crazy so times. Have, have I left the apartment today? Uh, <laughs> uh, a typical day, gosh. Um, my, my, my typical days do come in two flavors, depending on if I'm teaching on a certain day or not. Um, so on the days I teach, it is typical for the alarm to go off at 4 a.m. And for me to uh, get cleaned up and have some coffee and get in the car before 5 a.m. and bomb down Highway 101, have an awesome time uh, with the crew, usually at Palo Alto or San Jose for a pre-dawn soul cycle class. Uh, and then I will head back up and then start my workday. Um, currently in my luxurious kitchen office <laughs> in my apartment in San Francisco. Um, a lot of that day is um, divided between uh, meetings and deep work time. Uh, as you mentioned, I work at Coda. Um, I was their first product marketing manager. Um, I came previously from Instagram, um, where I was a PMM there. Um, but we do a lot of really fun um, campaign ideation, um, actually doing the work to get these campaigns out the door, launching all of our great features. That's the big chunk of the middle of my day. Uh, and then in the evening, um, depending where the energy level's at, you can find me um, at Core Movement, a Pilates studio. Up the street that my friend opened like literally two months before we had to start shutting things down. Oh so I am just amazed at her entrepreneurial spirit and love supporting a local business with my mask on in a socially distanced uh, Pilates studio or um, flagship uh, CrossFit gym is around the corner from me as well. They've been doing outdoor classes. Um, so even though I love, love, love to teach Soul Cycle, I I think I like even more when someone tells me what to do in a fitness environment because <laughs> uh, I get to turn my brain off a little bit and be a little more in my body. Uh, and then after that, it's you know some sort of life administrative task since a lot of my life is happening in a small space. I've always been a neat freak, but I'm like even more obsessed with like cleaning and finding. I, I am that person that reads those like stupid BuzzFeed articles about like this is a new way to get this stain out of this thing. <laughs> Um, the answer is always barkeeper's friend or baking soda. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, um, I'm really, I was not the biggest Netflixer outside of like things that maybe I was watching. Cause like it was what we talked about at work or, um, my, I always watch survivor when it's on. So my mom and I have something to talk about. Uh, we can, we can do a lot. Of that <laughs> Actually, we have done a whole episode just on survivor because. 
I insisted, but yes, we can get it. Well, welcome to the sequel. Here it is. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> is right behind door number two. The unplanned sequel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, but I have been kind of going down the Netflix rabbit hole. Like, here's the list of shows everyone can't believe I haven't already seen. Um, so next up is Queen's Gambit. And uh, then I, I am trying to be more intentional about actually like slowing down um, and doing some sort of either um, just breath work. Um, MK, um, who's another former Soul Cycle instructor, um, has course meditation. Um, that has been such a godsend. Or just doing some of my own journaling reflection, um, spending a lot of time in pigeon pose <laughs> uh, from the oh, cycling and running. It just, uh, yeah. That feels like self care to me. Um, and then I recently got a weighted blanket. Uh, which has been a game changer in my life. And I slither under that bad boy and knock out, hopefully getting at least eight hours of sleep. But some days it's closer to six. Um, and that is probably a more detailed answer to this question than you were hoping for. But that's that's a day that I teach. Um, the days that I don't um, have trouble still sleeping in too, too late. Um, most of the day mm. looks the same, but the morning probably doesn't have uh, a class in it. But I'll probably use that time to make a playlist or program uh, upcoming classes. Uh, or, you know, just check in with the family, um, grab coffee, um, go on a walk with a friend uh, in San Francisco, since we can do that pretty much all year long, uh, which is really, really nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are lu- we are lucky that way. You have the yeah. uh, the New York contingent and the Survivor contingent, which is like a <laughs> we have some guests that overlap, um, which is which is funny. We uh, diagram. Of yeah. Guests. <laughs> exactly. When we do our, our team building exercise uh, afterwards, I'll be sure to yeah right that. right. Uh, yeah, no, we are really lucky um, with yeah. the weather and everything. I know, especially this year. Um, thinking about all the curveballs people have to uh, subsume that we haven't really had to adapt to too much uh, from a climate perspective, um, which has let us do like soul cycle outside um, on <laughs> parking garage roofs or <laughs> on second <laughs> floors and parking garages, which has really been an incredible blessing. Um, I think for the first couple of months where we, no one really knew what to do with any of that. Um, I definitely knew I missed it, but I didn't know how much till we got to like mm. plug back in to the creative ways that people are making fitness happen in the Bay area. Yeah, it is. It is amazing to see how people are adapting and, and have like had to continually adapt. It's like every six weeks you have to like iterate and be like, okay, are we allowed to be indoors? Can we, (laughs) are we not? What are we doing? What's open? Um, It's nothing, nothing is stable. And I think sometimes that can feel really energizing, but sometimes that can just be really exhausting (laughs) yeah i mean i um i live in a studio apartment which is like wonderfully laid out for my life and was perfect when my life was get up actually go to an office run to a fitness studio go dance under a disco ball with your friends go to a beer garden like all of that and it's like this was kind of where i cleaned my body ate food and slept (laughs) Uh, and then especially when when the um pandemic happened and we started locking down all of a sudden i'm looking at this space and i'm like we need to figure out a lot more utility here um, and man, I did not get the right coffee table to be like consistently moved out of the way for workouts. And I literally <laughs> threw out a chair or donated a chair. So I had room for a cheap spin bike. I got off Amazon while I was trying to figure out if I wanted to invest in something longer term and more expensive. So it's definitely been, uh, um, our lives have changed. Our rhythms have changed, but our spaces have changed too. And I think we are so informed by the spaces we spend our time in and inhabit that I definitely have noticed, um, a shift in both mm. my appreciation of the space I have, but how I approach um, any space I'm privileged to be in in 2020. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, so going back to a little bit of like your own fitness journey, you've you've shared bits and pieces um, Mm -hmm. during classes, but you know, you you have run before. You ran as a kid. I think you you ran in high school, right? So why don't we we go back to a younger Mm -hmm. Andrew and what your uh, your entrance into running was like and your relationship with running and fitness was as a kid. Um, I was a total dweeb. Um, honestly, let's be real. Like what percentage of runners were not, uh, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I was, uh, I was definitely like the, the nerdy academic one. I was painfully closeted, but still like very publicly loved show tunes, uh, <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> um, yeah, but, uh, I, so I grew up, um, my dad was especially super athletic, um, in his youth. Um, and we related through sports with each other, but I did not have the coordination for baseball, for soccer. I did not like things where we're like throwing elbows. And then randomly, I think when I was in seventh or eighth grade, um, we got a lacrosse team, a youth lacrosse team in our town. And like all the things I thought I didn't like, turns out I love when you have a stick and pads. Uh, <laughs> and, um, I really, um, loved playing lacrosse. Uh, and actually, you know, was running mostly for conditioning for lacrosse. Um, I had my growth spurt a little earlier, so I got to play like defense and thought that was really fun. Uh, and then when I showed up in high school, I was like, okay, um, cross country is a sport you can do in the fall and it, uh, is going to be good conditioning for lacrosse, which was in the spring. Um, and had just, a, a wonderful, wonderful coach. He's the AP English teacher at our high school. Um, super inclusive guy made time to really figure out not just like, what does this individual athlete on my team need for their own improvement development as a runner, but what motivates them? How do I get them to actually pay attention to what I'm trying to coach them to do? And I don't think I broke six minutes a mile my freshman year. And like, that was the big goal. Um, I was just kind of a little dip, like plodding along in the JV races. And then we got our conditioning homework, uh, for the winter for lacrosse. And I did not realize that that was something that most people probably skipped out on. I, I took it seriously. I was bundling up in sweatpants and running outside. And unbeknownst to me, because I really did not have the mindset or the background or the history of a runner. My dad like did the jogging craze in the 80s. Um, so I knew that like, yeah, you run in sweatpants and gloves and a hat outside. It's cold. <laughs> of um, and I didn't even realize it because I wasn't timing myself. I was just logging miles, but I was getting quicker. And then showed up for... Um, Showed up for lacrosse uh, first couple of practices, which were effectively tryouts for you know JV and varsity. And our very first thing we did was we ran a two mile uh, perimeter around the school property. And I think I came in like second or third behind some senior <laughs> on the team. And the coach was like, "Stinger, you just made varsity." Uh, I was like, "Coach, I am five foot six and one hundred and twenty pounds soaking wet. Like I have no business on a varsity team, but that was the gig, and I got." destroyed just demolished that season on crutches sprained ankle um, and just had had a miserable time and it manifested and i just didn't care about my teammates or really anything Mm -hmm. and all my friends that had done spring track were having what looked like the best time of their lives (laughs) and i was like yes i think i do like that um so the following summer uh i did finally get a bit more serious about training for running, um, all of a sudden showed up for cross country my sophomore year, had all these PRs, got addicted to that feeling. Um, so did track my sophomore spring. And then by my junior year, uh, that was when we had an indoor track team for the first time. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Western Massachusetts. So obviously 
running track outside. We could practice on the track if we shoveled it, but we weren't doing track meets, you know, <laughs> yeah. all three seasons. Yeah. But I became a three-season runner, um, cross-country, mm-hmm. indoor track, uh, outdoor track. Never really found my event till my senior year. I loved the 1K uh, indoors, which translated to finally by my senior year, I found the 800. Um, I also really loved relays and I was the runner that they would throw out the distance that like no one trains for. So distance medley relay, Stingers running the 1200. And like, I don't know how that's supposed to feel, but great. I'm on a team. I'm included. This feels awesome. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, some of my best friends from high school, friends I'm still in touch with, I think mm. probably pretty common um, folks who have a positive experience with high school sports. Uh, and then going into my senior year, our coach had not taken a men's team to the state meet, I think in, in 10 years. Um, and we qualified, we made it to the state meet uh-huh. and I was the seventh out of seven guys for the varsity team, which felt really special. I also about 30 ish days, about a month before that meet felt it happen in the middle of a race, but like rolled my ankle, felt the pop, knew it was a sprain, but was not going to miss my chance to mm-hmm. be on the varsity team. And bless his heart, our cross-country coach, even though he saw like my times were getting a little slower, <laughs> let me keep staying in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, we had alternates that were like juniors in high school who were like ready to take that spot. But even they were like, I don't want to take Stinger's spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is actually probably something I should have realized before right now talking about it. Uh, <laughs> but a through line from that experience into kind of the way I see myself as a coach now, as an instructor, um, came a day or two before our state meet. A coach sat us all down and he started talking about the team and what a privilege it was, you know, such fine gentlemen, all the stuff you see in a Disney movie about sports when the coach talks to the, the guys who stop being jerks and start being, you know, real adults uh, as they're 18, 19 years old. And he said, you know, he started talking about like what everyone brought to the team. And then he looked at me and he said, um, and Stinger, I mean, everyone knows you're hurting and you're still staying in it. And that just goes to show that you are the heart of the team right now. Um, and thinking about that idea uh, of the attitude you bring, the persistence you bring, um, even though I was, I was, I've never, I was never the first place runner. I was, I think I maybe. I don't think I even cracked more than seventh actually out of our varsity guys because the team was so stacked. Um, and that just really stuck with me in a way where I was like, okay, there's more to this than logging miles and mm-hmm. comparing splits and figuring out, you know, are you an uphill or a downhill person? Um, so that was kind of my background um, through high school. I had a really awesome uh, tail end of my senior year track career. Um, where our team barely missed qualifying for states for a four by eight hundred relay, but after watching the tape a few times, some of the dads were like, "I think, I think Andrew ran a, a really fast split." I was like, "I, I think I did too." Uh, <laughs> and I had an opportunity at that time um, to go to Ithaca College um, to their communication school on a scholarship, and uh, had met with a track coach when I was doing my campus visit. And he's like, "Yeah, for sure. With times like that, you could walk on." I was like, "Wow, I had never." ever imagined myself as a college runner um, and had had teammates that were going on to run at D1 and, and D2 schools. And I was just thrilled that I would have this thing that helped me get out of my head with all of kind of the internal angst I had as, as a young gay man in the closet, helped me decompress from the academic course load I always found myself motivated to take. Um, so I was really excited. We got a training program for the summer. I was actually doing it in between working a couple different jobs. Uh, like you do during the summer as a kid. And then um, woke up one morning in July before my freshman year of college and couldn't get out of bed. Couldn't 
move my uh, legs, my feet, uh, my hands, my wrists, and had a total freak out. Um, oh wound up being tested for everything under the sun because people are like, this could be meningitis. This could be, who knows? I wound up actually in the ICU in quarantine in case it was something bacterial or viral. This was kind of like bird flu, um, mm-hmm. West Nile virus foot and mouth disease times as well. Uh, and eventually, I think it was the, the third or fourth day, uh, a neurologist realized I had a neurological history of things like migraines and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and ran some tests and diagnosed me with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, so I have a neurological condition where when my immune system um, gets just jacked up, <laughs> my nervous system overcompensates and responds by actually kind of attacking the ends of the nerves, starting at the extremities and, and shutting down and, and making its way in inwards. And I'm so, so lucky, one, that I had running um, because I was otherwise very fit. Um, by the way, the reason my immune system was going crazy was because I had mono because I was a stupid little kid going to go to college and like making out everywhere. Uh, (laughs) As one trying to prove to myself that we're not true. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's the truth. Uh, And um, yeah, uh, I was so lucky because I was so healthy. I was able to make. Honestly, in hindsight, what, what feels still like a miraculous recovery mm-hmm. over the course of that summer, because people wind up on ventilators, people wind up with permanent damage where like they might not be mobile or fully mobile again. Um, and I certainly had to take a slow road back into wellness. Um, and But really wasn't sure I was ever going to have a running career at all again. Um, it did um, kind of cost me the opportunity to run in college. Just training at that level after being so laid out was not... A safe possibility for me. I, I tried. I got injured, um, yeah. and then after that, started looking at options. Transferred to Columbia, where we went to school together, Mimi. And uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the the younger Andrew, like really long monologue version. Um, which Love is, it. Running was a, a really safe space for me, a really encouraging place with some great mentors, coaches, and teammates, and obviously the lessons we learned along the way. And felt that rug pulled out from underneath me and for a while uh, was anxious that it wouldn't be a resource for me again until really after college was when I, I dove back in. Mm-hmm. With that experience of, you know, you told the story about like pushing through pain mm-hmm. uh, as a runner and then you have this like illness. What is your relationship like with, with kind of being able to differentiate pain that you push through and pain that you like, you know, is a sign that you need to kind of pull back? I'm still kind of a wuss when it comes to pain in general in my life, <laughs> um, both emotional and physical. Uh, <laughs> I'm sensitive. Um, but I, in terms of identifying that, I think uh, my relationship with it is very different as an adult now than it was when I was younger. I, th- I think when we're younger, we're a little bit more elastic and able to bounce back from things and kind of pushing against those boundaries to find out where they are. And now I, I've honed my instincts a bit more to know what that looks like. Um, I think I'm also just generally motivated by the knowledge that every time I, I've done things the safest possible way or the way that has like assured comfort, um, that might get the thing done um, physically, but it might not get it done well. It might not contribute to the progress, part of me, uh, that I'm looking for. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in my 30s. At this point, I kind of know, like, I'm like, this is a pain that is a signal and is hurting me. Um, and I'm also aware of like, this is a pain that is just telling me I didn't get enough sleep, but I need to like kick my ass to like 
run the minute split I'm looking for right now. Mm-hmm. Um, marathoning, I think, is probably the the single biggest way that I have learned that. Um, where I mean, I don't, I don't. Outside of a, a select few, I don't care how hard you train for a marathon. There's going to be a moment where you feel something that is <laughs> yeah. less than jubilant. Um, but yeah, totally. I don't know if that, if that answers your question or if there's a, another layer there that. Um, yeah, no, I think it does. I mean, I think it's just, it's so interesting to me, I think as like a, you know, I think anyone who's an athlete has those moments where you're like, do I push through this? Do I not? And it's just, mm. I think figuring out where your limits are, but then also as a coach, you know, as someone who's leading it, you know, we often rely on, or you often hear like, you know, go in, go into it, feel it. It's okay. Mm. Push past it. Um, and so like, I think, you know, figuring out that relationship between like, when do you push someone, including yourself? And when do you kind of pull back? It's there, you know, that, and that can kind of ebb and flow. I think we can go through periods where we're kind of like harder on ourselves and we push maybe harder than we should. Um, and both mentally and physically, but those two things can kind of play into each other and like figuring out where those lines are. It's just, I think really fascinating. Well, and I think there's a difference between the, mindset required to initiate and the mindset required to sustain. And those can happen mm-hmm. within the same like five second period, especially yeah. like running. So yeah. um, the better example I have to give is like with soul cycle. Um, there are all sorts of ways to ride a soul cycle bike. You know, we do our, our dance moves, our choreography on the bike. You can, if you ride in my class, you can do the entire class sitting down. Um, I hope you at least try the different paces and different resistance to get that interval training. Um, but I actually have a former, um, I think she actually still does Ironman um, triathlete, uh, triathlons. Um, and she would just pick her spot and just kind of stair step through the whole class. She liked the music. She liked being around people. Like, more power to you, sis. Like, I'm not going to get in your way. <laughs> you know what yeah. you're doing. Um, but I think uh, my thing is, especially if, if you're newer and you're kind of figuring it out and you don't know where the boundaries are yet, like, you have to give it a try. Um, at mm-hmm. least try. And you will get a signal really quickly. Um, and I think sometimes you have to spend five seconds with that signal uh, to, to really figure out, is this signal just me panicking or having an autonomic nervous system response that says this is new and unfamiliar or scary and things are feeling hijacked? Or is it truly like, this is actual pain? Um, but I think like, even when we do these like really crazy fast songs, I'm like, no, we're going to try to ride this out of the saddle. Um, I just ask that everyone tries for five seconds. And if you can stay up, but you can't quite get the different rhythm, but you feel like you've got good resistance, why not stay up? Like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. give you a report card on if you did all the choreography. <laughs> um, but if you I think... I did an F. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you do them push-ups, girl. You get it hard. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think there's a difference between saying, I can accomplish this task. And this is like in soul cycle. And then I'll try to explain the metaphor. But like, I can accomplish this task stronger, more consistently, and in a way that serves me best in the saddle, making some personal decisions that are different than what's mm-hmm. being coached for me right now. Or I can do this thing and trust the programming to let it be something that pushes me and conditions me and takes me further. Um, so similarly, when I uh, am running, like I definitely go out with a goal for what I want my splits to be, what I'm trying to train my body to be able to do over different distances. And there are some days where it's not happening. <laughs> and it's like I could really like push and try to dig and, and make that happen and, and feel the side stitch and try to run through the side stitch. I'm okay with that. I always run with a $20 bill in my pocket. Where's, well, I don't know that you can hail a cab anymore. But yeah, you, you get what I'm saying. Like, but I think it's, it's, you do have to listen to 
that voice that motivates you to at least try. If you never encounter the signal, you'll never know how you'll handle and interpret the signal. Um, and even if you interpret it one way, one time, um, that doesn't mean it's a habit. That doesn't mean it's a pattern. Now mm-hmm. you just know what it felt like that one time. And the next time you encounter it, you can adjust from there. And, and I think that ability and willingness to be iterative in how you adapt to challenge is especially, especially important for runners because there's never a perfect race with perfect conditions and a perfect starting point and a perfect distance between the starting line and the porta potties. Like it doesn't exist. But if you yeah. accumulate enough signals and enough uh, internal instinct around how to respond to them, um, I think that really informs your relationship with, with pain and discomfort and how they're different and how the discomfort piece can be what grows you. And the pain thing is the thing you have to listen to and be careful around. I love that. I think the thing that, that really stuck with me that you said is like, when you start to feel it, like take a moment and be like, is this, this thing? Or like, can I sit with this for a minute? Am I kind of panicking with, you know, the initial kind of reaction to the exertion, to the pain, um, to just something new. I think your body kind of has that reaction of like, Oh, I don't know. I don't like it. I can't figure it out. So let's stop. Um, I don't, I, I feel pain, but it's maybe just more like mental discomfort. Um, and that's so true. Like if you can train yourself to do that in sport and also throughout life, like right now is such a good example of just like waking up every day and being like, is this new or am I okay? Like, am I going to be okay? How can I be okay with this? Um, and I think the other thing is like doing that, getting comfortable doing that every day because it's like something that might be okay yesterday. Now you didn't sleep and you got in a fight with your partner and now you're like, no, it's not okay today. Yeah. Well, in the great, like Murakami, style of running as metaphor for all of life. Like what we're really talking about is whether you respond or you react. Um, Mm. And that's true in pursuit of physical growth and sport. That's true in relationships. That's true in our careers. Um, And, and don't like, there is a time to react like a soccer goalie better be able to (laughs) react in in the correct way. Um, But I think one of the luxuries of especially distance running um, I will note here that I could never, you know, do a hundred meter dash amongst like <laughs> probably even like a, a, I don't even know where I was going with this other than I'm not a fast <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, what is the appropriate thing to say I would lose to? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, you know, in distance running, you have much more time to cultivate responsiveness. Um, of course, you mm-hmm. have to react if you know, you, you go the wrong way on a course. Of course, you have to react if you find a bear while you're trail running. Yeah. Um, but moreover, I think distance running's gift to us is the opportunity to practice that distinction between respond and react. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I sort of just even expanding this metaphor, I... I have always been an anxious person um, that has trouble with uncertainty, that, uh, you know, likes to know exactly what's going to happen, how I'm going to do, what's next. And I think what running has really helped me with is sort of get out, be in the moment and get away from that and and know, you know, to, to your point earlier, like every day is going to be a little bit different and you actually can't, I mean, you can compare your progress over time, but if you're comparing you know, how you felt one week versus another, there are so many things that could contribute to that. And it's still hard for me to get out of that and not compare myself. Um, but it's, it's great practice for, for anything in life. Um, yeah. I mean, one thing I'm really interested in too is like you as a coach. So I've had the opportunity to be coached by you and 
I, I could repeat your mantra when I'm in class, but it's, I mean, I feel like all of the soul cycle instructors have, you know, a few things that they say mm-hmm. and we put it on t-shirts and things like that and it becomes a, a thing. Um, but I think what, what you have always said from the beginning is like, is it, I will because I can, I can because I, can I will. Because I, I have. Yeah. Or I can because I have. So mm-hmm. I totally butchered that. But <laughs> I, I just, I think about that when I run and it, mm-hmm. and it, comes from it came from you right and because it's so it's so true uh-huh. drawing on the prior experience having that confidence to know that you can do something and so i'm i'm and i think you've been saying it since the beginning since i remember riding mm-hmm. with you and so i'm curious <laughs> like like where where that came from and how you chose that because it's it's so powerful and it is so perfect for marathoners yeah thank you um and that's incredible um I also think that usually around like mile 18 to 22. Uh, (laughs) um, Where did that come from? Um, One thing I'm always certain to do um, is we don't, I don't lead with that one. Um, You know, usually it's something that comes out when we have cranked up the resistance and I'm saying, forget about the rhythm and charge through it. Um, Those very athletic moments of jacking up the metabolism um, that kind of Tabata style work where we go hard for a period recovering, then we're probably going to do it again. Um, it's usually on the second one. Mm-hmm. I'm giving away all my secrets now that I will say that because <laughs> by that point, even someone who's done their first soul cycle class has already put that in their bank. They've already done mm-hmm. it once. Um, and I, and I think it's once you do something once all, you get to surrender all that anxiety of like, can I do it? And you get to already start interrogating, how will I do it the next time? How fierce, how courageously, um, with how much dedication, with what attitude. Um, And that, um, to me, just feels really important to stay dedicated to something. Mm. Um, I think especially, um, you know, in the beautiful Bay Area with um, all of the incredible companies that operate here, um, they all are... Uh, places with super high hiring bars. Um, there's just kind of this, like the bar is always being raised. And I don't think we actually take enough time to say I was successful today. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we can do that in the middle of a dance party on a bike, <laughs> um, and if it sounds like I will, because I can, I can, because I have, for me, the big part is the, I have, um, and mm-hmm. then moving it back around and be like, Oh, so I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's kind of like spiritually where that comes from for me. I think in terms of like the history of that, um, there's a lot of variants of, of similar sayings. I know Heather Anderson, um, who's another incredible coach in the Bay Area. Um, I was in her class and I think hers was, um, I can and I will. Um, and then at the very last one, she said, and I am. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there was something... That was the first time in that environment where I'd really heard an instructor um, kind of make it like a cadence and a, a repetitive, almost meditative um, or saying that you could meditate on as you repeat it, um, centered on, on the I in that moment. Um, <clears throat> and I, I think I heard that, I loved it, and I thought about my own story um, and the different places where I have had to push through and break through. And it's like, what is the message I would go back and give to myself in those moments? And what's the message I would take to my current day self from those moments? And from that, the mm-hmm. I will because I can, I can because I have was born. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Now I know. <laughs> but Call me if you hear me do it in the first push in class. I'll be like, like, no, nope, it's not time. Like, this is not true. Too soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, you know, so, so maybe, me, sir, sir, yeah. um, we uh, haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. I'll like take off my headphones because now, so for those of you who are interested in doing solo outside, you, you go in the case of Palo Alto, it's, it's a parking lot. It's the second floor of the parking lot, second level in the Stanford Christmas shopping lighting. center. <laughs> it's, it's great. I, I actually recommend going like taking one of Andrew's 6am classes because well, maybe well, you, now, especially you're, you're seeing the sunrise, like you get to experience yeah. kind of sure the most that. magical part of the day. Um, but but you wear these headphones where all of the music comes through and, and uh, the instructor's voice. And so everything outside of that is quiet, but it's it's really a cool experience. The first time I was like, this is going to not be so comfortable. I'm not sure I'm going <laughs> to really like these, but it's it's kind of crazy. And I think sometimes, I don't I don't know if it was your, was it your class where like there was something going on outside of... It was absolutely my class <laughs> where, where a lot of folks didn't realize until they saw the lights, but the uh, yeah. Stanford Shopping Center Police uh, Security yeah, had to go like, in and, and give us an assist. I wouldn't <laughs> let you know if anyone was at risk, I promise. But I had... It, it was only because I saw the lights. Like I had no idea. I was fully <laughs> immersed in my... Andrew Stinger, Soul Cycle <laughs> Bubble. Um, but anyway, uh, well, I mean, the, yeah. The marketer in me loved um, Chris Leda, uh, another Soul Cycle instructor. When we did our ride as instructors with the new setup, um, he said, Yeah, I love this. It's actually really immersive. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, Boom, that's the value prop right there. That is, and it's true. Um, and, I, and I do think, like, I, I joke about it all the time. I'm getting shirts made for our Thanksgiving class um, where we're calling the turkey burn our turkey trot in a parking lot. Like it is in a parking Love it. lot. Like, Love it. In it. Yeah. Uh, but like who you are when you adapt is still who you are. And the fact that we are adapting this thing that looked and felt one way for so many people for so long and people are showing up and willing to let it feel new, I think to mm-hmm. me shows the value in... Um, one, I, I do give the company SoulCycle credit for all the standards of safety and the ways that they got creative to make this happen in a way that does feel safe outdoors. Um, but I also give every single person showing up so much credit because it is a lot harder to do a SoulCycle class when the elements can be doing whatever. I have now taught in direct sun on the top of a parking garage in San Jose. And I have taught in, you know, sub 40 degree weather <laughs> in Palo Alto and both times. People sang along to Taylor Swift, like their little Apple watches gave them some great numbers that they were happy about. And we got to go about the rest of our day feeling like we accomplished something that I, I was definitely worried. Like, is this a resource that I'll get to have mm-hmm. ever again in 2020? Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think it's really incredible that we are getting creative. We are adapting and we're accepting uh, that normal, uh, like going back to normal is probably not an option. Um, but the, the new things we get to build from that feel especially precious as a result. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Going sort of back to when you, when you joined SoulCycle. So I think yeah. at one point in time, you were a full-time instructor. Is that correct? Or were you, yeah. yeah. For two years. And then you were like, I'm going back to get a day job, but I'm going to keep <laughs> teaching. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, so maybe if we could learn a little bit more about that, what, what took you, because I think you came from YouTube to SoulCycle. Yep, is, that, is that right? Um, yeah, see, I remember what you tell me on the podium. Um, <laughs> wow. Try to keep my facts straight. Um, <laughs> you know, but then you're like, hey, I got, I am going to go back out in the, in the world and, and do other things. But this community is important to me and I want to keep doing this. You know, 
what were all of those decision points like in your life? Wow. Um, so the Soul Cycle opportunity caught me totally by surprise. Um, I was dragged to my very first Soul Cycle class, kicking and screaming by coworkers because it was a corporate class for Googlers in San Francisco. I was like, I can't believe people would pay this much for a fitness class. It was like boutique fitness back in 2014, 2015 was not as like ubiquitous, I feel like, yet. I think there was a boot, Barry's boot camp in the Bay Area. Um, and by the second song in this class that I had been dragged to, it, realistically, I was fighting it because I didn't know how to clip into a bike and I was scared that I'd look stupid. Mm. Um, and then we're like two songs in. Um, Lauren McHale was the instructor. She um, leads a fitness um, uh, class uh, and series of classes called Nama Sweat up in Sacramento now. Um, mm. Two songs into class, I remember just very quietly in the back row of the Soma Soul Cycle studio just going, oh. I, I, I love it. Um, I self-censored that. But, <laughs> um, and I was like, I, I, I really like that this coaching comes from a place of mindfulness, comes mm-hmm. from a sense of community. Um, I used to really not like group fitness because running is such an individualized experience. I hated running with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to do my own thing and not feel beholden to someone else's pacing and things like that. Uh, but this worked for me for some reason. And I think it was combining my love of music, my love of getting to know people in a sense of community, like seeing the same people on my like at the classes I went to on like Wednesday night at 6.30, being like, how have you been? Um, and I just loved the the way the coaching felt purposeful and that they weren't afraid mm-hmm. to make the metaphor, make it extensive into your actual life. Um, so I fell hard for SoulCycle. I was also working at Google and YouTube and on a pretty hefty travel schedule. Um, so the efficiency of the workout was honestly the biggest thing for me. Mm-hmm. And I could find them when I was traveling to New York, Boston, LA, wherever. Uh, and it was an easy resource because we all know hotel gyms are, are not serving you all that. Um, mm-hmm. Although I would now give um, a pretty penny to do anything <laughs> at a hotel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, those little bottles of wine. Uh, but, um, the extra pillows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, connected with some instructors whose class I really loved. They convinced me to audition and I had been traveling so much and not taking time off that I had basically almost maxed out my PTO at work. So I had to start taking days mm. and I was like, screw it. I'll take the day off to audition. Um, I just want to see what this is like. Like no one gets it on their first try and like who, who, what's the worst thing that happens? They like somehow I'm a fluke and I get it and I just say no. Uh, so I do the audition. Um, I black out the entire experience. And afterwards, one of my friends went with was like, Andrew, that was, that was good. And I was like, wait, what, really? Uh, and then I got the invitation to do their training program in New York City, which is a full-time commitment for about two months. Um, and the expectation is coming out of that, you will teach full-time as well because you need to kind of keep baking the cookies after you're trained on, on the soul cycle coaching method and, and all of that. Um, and my mentor, um, who thankfully was also my director at work, uh, and mm-hmm. I had a one-on-one scheduled uh, a day or two after that, after I got the news. And as I broke the news to her, she just looked at me and said, Andrew, you have to do this. Um, she knew my story with my health and, and having mm-hmm. my physicality taken away from me by Guillain-Barre syndrome and how much it meant to me. Just like, this could happen again any day. Like this could, today could be the last day that I got to do something physically with my body. Um, so she knew how much it meant to me to connect to that part of my life. Um, she knew how excited I got <laughs> when like we would go do soul cycle classes as a team. Um, and she knew that I um, played music at a church and music was really important to me. Um, and she said, you know, like, this is the sort of thing, Andrew, where if you, if you turn this down, you are going to probably spend the rest of your life wondering what life would have been like if you, if you had said yes, mm-hmm. um, and spreadsheets and strategy will always be there. 
And two years later, I always thought she was right. They were. Uh, <laughs> um, so I went to the Soul Cycle training program. It was intense, brutal, uh, spiritually reforming, uplifting, encouraging. It, it, it's, it's, I don't know. It, it's what I'm guessing like really intense um, yoga retreats are like for people that mm. don't swear in the back of yoga classes when they take them because their hamstrings are so tight. Uh, <laughs> but it was really, really beautiful. I'm so grateful for that opportunity and the people who encouraged us along the way. Uh, coming out of training, I was blessed. I got to come back to the beautiful Bay Area. Um, started teaching part-time um, while opportunities for me to get more classes on the schedule were kind of taking their time to show up. Um, so I was also working part-time at Lululemon uh, and meeting a really amazing community there. And then eventually developed uh, a rhythm where I had a full-time schedule. I was teaching between the Palo Alto studio, uh, Castro studio, and Soma studio. Um, and I have never really ever been a morning person. And some of the first classes I got were like, Andrew, this is your class, your time slot. We're 6 a.m. Monday, Wednesday in Palo Alto. Um, a very generous instructor named Todd uh, had taught those. He and I could not be more different, like in terms of our physicality. Todd is like, <laughs> like one million, um, like nine hundred pound fireman linebacker who made that bike look like a tricycle. And then <laughs> it came like me with my like, I like show tunes. Uh, but he was so generous in the way he like. Introduced I like your me. class better. Anyway, oh, keep going. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, Todd. <laughs> he's like, no, come, come down and, t- and take class with me one morning. So I introduce you to people, and I will make sure that they come and, and take your class. And um, I dressed like him. He always wore like shorts, a t-shirt, goofy socks, and a backward snapback. And I was like, hi, what's up, guys? I'm Todd. Like, people were willing to give me a chance, which is great. Um, and teaching full time for two years was was seriously just really lovely. It was a, a chance to really knowing my history with my own body, like. The time I wasn't on the bike, I, I did start doing a little more yoga. I did do other workouts. I tried Barry's boot camp. Um, I worked out with different coaches um, and really just healed a part of myself that I didn't know still carried a lot of hurt around how I related mm-hmm. to my own body um, through doing that, which was so fun. I've obviously met incredible members of our community like you. Uh, and, uh, that was when I ran, we ran Boston while I was still teaching full-time. That's yeah. Right. So Bridget actually ran that one too. We all ran no the way. 2017 Boston yeah. Marathon. Bridget, <laughs> yeah. did Amimi also get you a Tracksmith, uh, hand-printed poster with your finishing time on it? That is still hanging I up. Did in not, I do have that, but Mimi didn't get it from me. I didn't know Bridget. <laughs> yeah. This... So incredible. It is literally hanging up. Like when you walk in the door to my apartment, you look down the hallway, it's the first thing you see. Um, that Aww. was such a beautiful way to commemorate. Um, mm-hmm. Not to like derail the story, but going back to being privileged to live in the Bay Area with our weather. I remember I would teach my two morning classes, log not a ton of miles, but just do some sort of running still down in Palo Alto, like around the Stanford campus. I may or may not have figured out when the men's swimming and diving team had their practices. Uh, <laughs> to, you know, motivate myself to at least make it as far as the uh, natatorium. And <laughs> that was the year that it was so warm after a mm-hmm. really, really cold winter. And I just remember feeling terrible that people were just melting in a temperature that felt exactly like what we got to train in that year. Um, so that was IPR mm-hmm. at Boston, um, which I'm pretty sure you're not nice. allowed to do. Uh, yeah, no, that's not allowed. <laughs> and obviously I was like, you know, doing cardio a million times a week already with my... Yeah. Um, so the decision points that leading me there were the opportunity to get back in my body and, and, and do something just totally different from how I'd spent the... I guess, eight or nine years at that point of my career in tech. Um, the decision to come back uh, really just stemmed from um, wanting to even more fully integrate, I think, 
the things that mm. make me me. Um, I am a wind chimey, happy-go-lucky, shochun-loving, coaching, cycling-loving, workouter, playlist maker. Um, but I am a strategic thinker. Um, and I, I think... And this is not to say that being a fitness instructor does not require strategic thought, but I think like solving business problems is something I really identify with. I love a good mm-hmm. spreadsheet. I love it so much. I work for Coda, who's reinventing spreadsheets and documents. Uh, <laughs> and I think for me... Um, and this is where I have to give so much credit to anyone who works in fitness as a coach. By and large, you are an island for a lot of your day. Um, you are moving from mm-hmm. studio to studio, location to location. Now you are teaching across Zoom. Um, and I really missed that experience of being co-located with a team, getting on a whiteboard, having you know nine people who are all accountable for the same goal, um, and getting to learn from each other while achieving that goal. Um, and obviously, mm-hmm. like, all cycle instructors, we want the cycle business to do well. We want to build a community. We want anyone in the community to feel comfortable taking each other's classes. So it's not like we're all fighting for a slice of the same pie. We're making a bigger pie. Like That's been a part of the ethos of the soul cycle community in the Bay Area for as long as I've been a part of it. Um, but yeah, there's just something different about business, Andrew, um, than Coach Andrew. But they are increasingly more and more integrated. And I actually think that's why I've enjoyed... Um, like personally enjoyed uh, teaching at especially the Soma and Palo Alto locations, um, but also why I've enjoyed some success there. Because when we were doing those 6 a.m. classes, I looked around and I was like, okay, one, I know what company those four people are executives for. Uh, and two, I was like, I know what your day is going to be after this. I've done that day. And even yeah. now, I'm, like, I'm going to go do that day. So I'm able to just say, like, what is going to um, set me up to feel powerful and successful and motivated in that day with my workout before I go into it. Um, and I'm really grateful that I get to integrate those things. And honestly, having two jobs in San Francisco is uh, at this point almost a requirement to pay rent. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. So I, I remember my very first soul cycle class with you and I don't know how far you were into, into it, but it was pretty early on. It was, it was a team teach with MK and it was in December of 2015. December of 2015, I came to to your class and you, yeah, so you were teaching with MK. I left and I, I don't know if it was a community class or something else, but you were teaching again later that afternoon or that evening. And I came back because I was just so taken aback by your authenticity and vulnerability. And I had so much fun. And I was like, (laughs) it's winter break. I'm coming back. (laughs) And that's amazing. You know, it um I think one of the things even early on, beyond just the fact that you teach a really hard, fun, (laughs) badass class, is your vulnerability. And you know, your vulnerability, it's it's displayed on your Instagram. It's it's everywhere. Um you know, so maybe like, where does that come from? And how did you, how did that evolve? How did you get comfortable sharing that? Um, and how does that infiltrate even to, to your work at Coda, like into your life on a regular basis? Wow. Um, I also remember that day because MK was so generous and said, come get up on the podium with me. Um, cause she knew I was teaching in Palo Alto later that day and she wanted to introduce me to all of her generous writers. Um, and then, yes, I think you came back and the first song I played in that afternoon class was uh, Always Be My Baby by Mariah Carey. Uh, Probably. <laughs> Your music is just... Classic move. It's the best. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but on the note of vulnerability, I think um, part of it stems from being a, a guy who came out later in his life. Um, I have a beautiful and loving relationship with my parents, and there was never really like a risk of them not accepting who I was. But I did grow up in a, in a relatively conservative household, um, it, going to church, and and you do still just hear messages around what people think is appropriate and what's not. And especially as a young little skinny guy, like I, I craved people's uh, affirmation and attention because that kept me safe. Um, mm-hmm. So after kind of pushing down on who I was for so long and, and denying myself the fullness of life that comes from being fully who you are. Um, now I, I just never not want to be <laughs> who uh, I am 100% full out, full stop. Um, but I think the other thing that did inform that in a big way, it was transitioning into coaching fitness. Um, mm. I, I think I mentioned earlier, like group fitness, I did not think was for me uh, until... I started seeing coaches who were not trying to say like, I am the all-star chiseled body Nike ad, flawless, only ever PRs can lift three cars over my head. I was like, cause I look at that and I'm just like, that's incredible and aspirational, but it's so not attainable for someone who has a neurological disability, who has tried to claw his way back to the running form. He was in high school and has finally made the acceptance that like, that's not going to happen, but I can still push myself to, um, become more fit and, and chase other goals through that. Um, and I just want people to realize that like integrating fitness into your life is a really beautiful thing, but you can't integrate something into your life unless you're honest about what your life is. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's kind of like when you try to ice a cake, that's still too hot. Um, <laughs> you can get it on there, but it's not going to stick. It's going to slide right off. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, I'm watching Holiday Baking Championship on Food Network right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, the Great British Bake Monday Off, episode. they always uh, have yeah. trouble cooling their cakes. Yeah, <laughs> the fan, like the paper, and they're like, put it in the chiller or whatever uh, they call it. Blast chiller, baby. Uh, yeah. You got to put your life in the blast chiller. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you could really Wow. There's the there's the uh, the title for the episode. Just put your life in the glass chiller. <laughs> yeah. We're not home here thinking this is like the Wim Hof method episode. About, like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I mean, all credit. Like, you, you can't talk about vulnerability with our generation and not mention Brene Brown. Obviously, like some of her teaching has just been revolutionary to me. Um, I mentioned earlier, I played music at a church. Um, I was part of a really great, loving and inclusive church community for a while. Um, and they actually, um, when talking about kind of um, spiritual honesty, mentioned like Brene Brown and that vulnerability is is a thing of daring greatly. And it's not, let's all just show up pressed and polished, like we're perfect. And these little like Christian armies that like all look at, look the same because we've just catalyze each other to think we have to look a certain way and, and act a certain way to belong. Um, and and I, that's another thing that I feel like if I am my vulnerable, flawed yet lovable self, like hopefully people know that they don't have to fit in to do a workout with me, to be seen by me, to be appreciated with me. Like you show up at a soul cycle class with me or you're my colleague on a team, you belong. Like there's no mm-hmm. debate there. Um, and, and I think when we don't waste that energy in pursuit of fitting in, um, that's the energy we get to use for the good stuff of life. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I worked at Facebook and Instagram and at Coda Now. Um, Facebook especially has like a very strong message in your new hire orientation about like bring your whole self to work. Um, and I think that's, I, I think they really mean that because, you know, 
trying to make meaningful connections between people through social media and the internet, um, if those can, if the people building them aren't authentically who they are, then they're not mm-hmm. going to build a system that authentically lets people make those connections. Mm-hmm. Um, at Coda, uh, I worked uh, with the team in an office for about four months before we moved to fully remote work. Wow. Uh, <laughs> And I think you know, spending all this time by myself, like I, I crave <laughs> human interaction and experience. And, and similarly, like I'm, I'm not willing to sacrifice um, people getting to know the real me, even if it's over Slack and Zoom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's just a lot more mutual understanding. I think you get a better sense for what gifts and opportunities people bring to the table uh, when they're exactly who they are. Um, and I think sometimes, especially while we're navigating a global health pandemic and all the other challenges this year throughout us, like who you are is enough. And if you don't believe that, um, and you're spending so much time in your own company, you're going to have some dark nights of the soul, man. Uh, and, and I think like now is a great time to, to do that work. Thank God for telehealth. And I mean, the vulnerability piece for me is also the byproduct of some incredible therapy. Um, if you are listening right now and have not yet booked an appointment with a therapist through any sort of digital means, <laughs> please do it. I'm not endorsing any one platform, but if you make it to 40 and you haven't done therapy, you're boring. Right. Uh, <laughs> Shout out to therapy. That's going to be the other title of this episode. The alternate title. If you've made it to 40 and haven't done therapy, you're boring. Or you It's like some woman with an Afghan over her shoulders that you're technically paying to be on your side hasn't like made you weep on a couch. It can be right. your own couch. Right. Uh, you're just unloading on like a barista in a really inappropriate way. So stop yeah. doing that. You need to pay that person. Yeah. Um, yeah so I, I don't know. That was kind of a, a twisty, turny answer because I don't know that I've thought about that in a while. Um, mm-hmm. I will say my uh, on social media. Um, I think I um, have seen how it can become such a thoughtfully and carefully curated place. Mm-hmm. And that is mm-hmm. a mode of expression. I think it's actually, in some places, actually an amazing form of artistic expression to even be a thoughtful curator. Um, but if you're only curating the best moments of your life and, and putting them out there, I think you can start to believe that that's the only part of your life worth sharing, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not interested in having to be perfect and shiny just to encounter other people in the real world. Yeah, yeah. I think that's great. I love, I stalked your Instagram today in anticipation of the, of this episode. And I, it made me feel good. Like not because you were sharing beautiful, you know, perfect, perfect moments, but I was like, this is a great speedo picture. Lots of speedo pictures, which I, which I love. This is me um, deflecting kindness. So this is why the therapy. Uh, but you share, I mean, yeah, you share a lot of your mental health stuff. Um, and and I felt like I got to know a little bit of you in a really uh, kind of honest way. Um, the way that you write, the way that you share, the images, everything. It feels, it feels like a much more of like a complete picture of who you are. And I'm sure there's you know, I, I, this is this conversation is obviously added in more detail, but it is it's nice to to look at someone and and feel like oh okay yeah I I really understand who this person is, where they come from, a little bit of their story, what motivates them, and the highs and lows. Thank you. Um, I owe a great debt of gratitude, I think, um, to the generation of gay men who came before me. Um, yeah. There, you know, I think AIM was was like a thing when I was in high school, but I didn't have 
um, mm. successful, proud gay men who were not caricatures of what we saw on TV that I could look up to and see living mm. their lives fully. Um, but I did after I came out. Um, it was after I was just feeling a lot of confusing emotions and having hard conversations with people whose opinions I should not have valued as much as I did at the time. Um, I was one night after a, a work event in San Francisco. I put on my brave pants. I said, you know what? I'm going to go to a gay bar because that's not something I ever really did. And I went to the lookout mm. on Market Street and it was kind of right after the holidays and they still had like twinkling lights up and it was dead because it was a weeknight. This is before I knew that like and gays go out on Thursdays. Don't count on your gay coworkers on Friday mornings or at least get them a nice coffee. Uh, it was like Good a Tuesday. Know. <laughs> Good to know. Um, I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Uh, but uh, I walked in, I, I sat alone at the bar and I had um, a mayor's mark on the rocks. Uh, and uh, these three older gentlemen just kind of walked over and I was like, son, you look like something's on your mind and you shouldn't be alone when something heavy's on your mind. Um, is it okay if we keep you company? And by the way, it is absolutely okay to say scram. Um, like they mm. did like checked all the boxes. Like they were not imposing on me. It was so sweet. And I let them know kind of where I was at that I just recently come out that I was having hard conversations and they were so supportive and uplifting and told me about their own stories. And it made me realize like, Oh, I am not like the only person who's had to walk this road, even in this way. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do see an opportunity for me now with the platform I have on social media to help other people see that like, you're not alone. Um, and you're not alone in your uh, sexual identity. You're not alone in wondering and asking big questions. You're not alone in managing issues of mental health. I mean, like losing your mobility, which happened to me as a teenager with Guillain-Barre syndrome, is a source of trauma in my life. Yeah. And if I don't name it as such, then I miss all the ways that other ramifications of trauma are things in my life that have to do with depression and um, kind of not understanding how that wavelength in my mind will always surprise me. Um, those are really real things. And I also didn't have people to look to to learn about that. And now I do. And there's really beautiful community. And um, a benefit of being so vulnerable about this is, is people are vulnerable right back. And you're able to kind of have each other's backs. Um, I actually have um, this one beautiful uh, soul cycle writer in my class who um, identifies just as I do as someone who's managing depression actively in their lives, but still, you know, high performing, always kind of happy, would never guess it. Um, and she and I will actually message each other in advance of a class and be like, hey, can you just text me in the morning and remind me it's like important for me to go? Can you like mm. make sure I make sure I don't bail? Um, and granted, I have like a occupational obligation not to bail. Uh, <laughs> but that yeah. still helps because I'll tell you, like when that alarm goes off at 4 a.m. and you're not feeling it, it's very easy to hit snooze and then get into like a troublesome time frame to get down there. And just knowing mm -hmm. that the person like sees me um, and the full version of me that is managing that and she knows that I see her and support her as well. Um, that almost feels sacred because it, it is mm -hmm. so rare and something that I would have never have had without fitness and the platform mm -hmm. of social and the connective tissue of social media. So I guess that's kind of where that comes from. Yeah. So when you think about your relationship with fitness or running or cycling, like in the next 10, 20, 30 years, uh, we're all going to live forever, right? Because they're actually with the vaccine creating 
<laughs> another vaccine type thing that is going to, um, you know, create eternal life. Um, anyway, when you think about your relationship with all of that going forward, you know, what is what does it look like for you? I admittedly still struggle with what I think are the aesthetic standards of someone in the mm-hmm. fitness industry. Um, I'm starting to let myself off the hook of that more and more because um, I'm starting to realize there are similar to me. People will take my class and don't care if I have a six pack of abs. Um, it's a great goal if it's your goal. Um, please don't starve yourself and like commit to crazy workouts that lead to you getting mirror muscles, but not working you know, deep tissue or mm-hmm. muscle ability. Um, so I, I do think just being a bit more self-directed in my overall fitness goals is constantly uh, the work for me. Um, I do want to stop talking myself out of different physical activities because I have never done them or I'm scared by them. Mm-hmm. Like, the big triumph for me was at the beginning of 2019, I went to CrossFit for the first time. Because I would watch these things and I'd be like, there's no way I'm putting that over my head. Um, and my first couple of classes, like I'm watching everyone rack their weights and like male or female, young or old, I'm the one with the lightest weight like that I'm moving around, but I did the damn thing. And like, I can now do that a bit more confidently. I'm, I'm in pursuit of what the next version of that for me is. Um, mm. Pilates was one of them. And I shake the second I step on a reformer, <laughs> but yeah. I still love it and how it feels. So I, I think the 10 year view is partially that. Um, I also am at a point where I think a lot of us, my life is happening in these smaller and smaller spaces that I want my fitness to be something that I get to use in ways that delight me. Um, I want to ski so much more. (laughs) Um, I had a road bike in Boston. It was just like a fixie to get from A to B and had some weird, like the streets of Boston are crazy just to drive on and had some weird, like almost got hit by a car things. And I've been scared to get on a road bike ever since. But like, I would love to do A's life cycle and ride a bike from San Francisco down to LA. I am dying to shave eight seconds off my marathon time so I can be the family record holder. My brother oh, has get it. <laughs> we'll make sure that happens. Get it. We'll make sure that happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I like there there are there are some of those things. Um but I think for me, uh I know my best fitness experiences are ones that I can share. Um, mm-hmm. I know that that like there is solo work that is required to get to the point where you can do things that you share. I mean, I had to do a lot of work as an individual to learn how to be the coach I am today. You have to log a lot of miles to show up confidently to the starting line of, of different races, and I'm happy to do that work. Um, but yeah, I just I, I hope fitness for me is a place where. I am confident in celebrating myself. I am able to celebrate others. I recognize when other people are celebrating me and don't just shrug it off. Mm. Um, And obviously, I mean, we just talked about mental health um, quite a bit, but it it is one of the best natural remedies I have found to manage the things I manage. Um, And I hope to continue to be able to lean on that as a resource. Um, And I have a lot of work to do on mobility and flexibility that Mm. I... Especially as I approach 40 in the next couple of years. Um, like I need to stop putting on the shelf. Um, yeah. The I, struggle is real. Yeah. For, me, yeah. <laughs> for all of us. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. I love to do a muscle up. That's the thing that everyone does at CrossFit where I'm like, wow. Oh, is that like is, a macho pull up? What is that? It's this thing. So you can do it on a bar or the rings, but, and you're usually kind of kipping your body to get momentum, but you basically, Get a pull up and then flip your wrist over and then push your body up so your arms are straight by your sides. 
In oh. fact, every single muscle in your body is activated, especially if like you're jumping up to get um, yeah. the, the, the people that can do these things in a row. Like it just looks like poetry to me and is a way of connecting all the things you can do in your body that I had never seen until mm-hmm. a year and a half ago. And I was like, well, that's... And it is like the great white whale for like anyone who's like new to CrossFit. Like everyone, like that's the goal you want to really yeah. do one. Um, and I also just want to do like fun things. Like I haven't gone off a diving board in forever. Like mm. maybe I'm going to get my Tom Daly on and like learn how to do a backflip. Right Hell now. yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I guess I want, I want there to be an element of play and I always want there to be some sort of goal that feels attainable. Um, but I also don't want to just count myself out of any activity. Mm. Love that. Always be playing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's end the podcast with some fun rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Oh, okay. Yes. Let me give you some sound bites. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> uh, favorite song on your Soul Cycle playlist right now? Uh, Lady Gaga 911. Fun. Uh, tap it back or side to side? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, lately, side to side. And I am going to elaborate on this. The tap back is the very fun little move where you're usually going a little bit quicker. Side to side is like kind of a thicker resistance thing. And now that it's cold out, I am obsessed with making sure we actually warm our bodies up. (laughs) And I have never felt better in the past couple of weeks than on this very cold Tuesday morning we just had, just stomping the beat for a while and looking at everyone being like, yeah. So for some reason, that is just like speaking to my heart right now. Nice. Uh, Okay. If we were to peek into your closet, would we find... More bike shorts or speedos? <laughs> it's a tie. It's a tie. It's I have a, tie. a lot of bike shorts. Because <laughs> you have an impressive speedo collection that I love. <laughs> uh, I was on public for the very first time like two and a half years ago, and I have not stopped feeling my whole dumb self ever since. It um, is awesome. Not a million workouts or zero, and honestly, it just it feels so good. <laughs> I love it. Uh, sprints or climbs? Sprints. Yeah. Um, if you could invite anyone to your class, who would it be? Uh, Leslie Nope, the fictional character, not Amy Poehler, who I also adore. Um, mm. but you know she would have the time of her life in class. She would. She would. And then she'd take you out for waffles after. Oh, <laughs> And we couldn't get eggs and bacon because Ron Swanson would have eaten all the eggs and, eggs and bacon. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, I love that Mimi added this question. Uh, favorite season of Survivor? Oh, gosh. Uh, Heroes versus I know. Thug. It's an impossible. Oh, Heroes versus. I was going to say it's an impossible. And it's an impossible task, but Heroes versus Villains is the correct answer. You got it right. <laughs> um, I will confess, like, I. I to honor a promise to my mom, I do need to film an audition tape. But if the way I have handled feeling marooned in my life with every creature comfort <laughs> is a reflection of how I would handle being marooned with people <laughs> all of life on a sandy beach with like bugs and stuff like that, it's not looking great for a whole stinger in terms of <laughs> But I just think it would be so fun. Like the challenges and getting to know oh. these people all over the place and... Uh, Jeff Probst and and my social game would suck, but hopefully people would like me enough to keep me around till the merge. I don't know. <laughs> I think you would go very far. I, yeah, well, I think I you could win. Way you go far is by like underselling your abilities at the start. So in case this like, Ooh. you know, my future rivals are hearing this, that's the strategy. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Wait, Mimi, yeah, what's no. your favorite uh, season of Survivor? Oh, it's, it's Heroes versus Villains. Um, <laughs> I think I, a close second 
maybe it's not so close. I don't know. I really like China. Um, Great episode. Um, I think it's uh, like, I I love, it was like one of the, I mean, there were a few after this, but it was really one of the last seasons where they really leaned into the more like destination cultural aspect of it. Um, after that, they sort of were like, okay, we're filming in Samoa for five years and then we're going to the Philippines, which was cool, but they didn't like really lean into it. Now they're just permanent site, at least when they go back is Fiji, which again, beautiful and cool, but China was just amazing. I mean, yeah, I remember the, didn't the one camp, like when it started to rain, the water level like threatened their camp in a unique way because they were by like a river, not the ocean. That was Mm -hmm. also when we met, um, was there James? was the guy who could open a beer James. bottle with his eye socket. And then um, Amanda, who is so good at getting to the final three and blowing it. <laughs> yeah, so great. Made it made it to the finals twice. Um, twice, twice. yeah. Oh, broke my heart. I was like, girl, be proud of your so moves. Good. Stand up for yourself. <laughs> we Watch had Todd. the previous episode of the show and no one is yeah. <laughs> There and was yeah, Todd who won... Yeah. Lunch lady Denise, Courtney, who is one of my favorite characters of all time. Courtney, she needs to come she was back. On Survivor um, because she like hated Survivor, I felt like I loved it. Yeah. She was like, This is this is terrible. Why would I do this? Like, I don't understand why I'm here. Uh, <laughs> like Brittany, made it to the final three. No, I don't uh, know any of this. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, um, it's it's a lifestyle, it's fine. Yeah. Um yeah. Okay, the final most important question, burger, burrito, or pizza? Burrito. Oh, yes. Team burrito. Where do you go? Uh, oh, well, now I sound uncool. I, I get burritos from a chihuahua probably twice a week. Um, but I'll, like, get, like, more than one burrito and save one for, like, lunch, like, in a day or two. Um, I do love a good burger, and I do love pizza, but I'm lactose intolerant. And both of those have, like, oh, cheese requirements. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be enjoyable. Whereas like a burrito is just, there's so many options and you don't have to get the whole dairy train going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. It was so great getting to know you and talking to you. Oh my gosh. This was such a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you guys for uh, the honor of, of being a guest on your podcast. We're definitely going to come do a class with you. I can't wait. I'm looking forward. We'll play Lady Gaga 911 and I will coach you as if we are in the final four of Survivor. Thank you for listening to this episode with Andrew Stinger. You can find Andrew on Instagram at Andrew Stinger. That's S-T-I-N-G-E-R. You can find him at SoulCycle Palo Alto in San Jose. I highly recommend his class. Bridget just took her first one on Saturday. She loved it. You'll be converted if you're in the Bay Area. If you hate indoor cycling, if you are anti-SoulCycle, whatever, just try Andrew's class. I swear it will convert you. If it doesn't convert you to indoor cycling, it will at least convert you to the gospel that is Andrew. We are so grateful for him and just are so happy that he is a member of this community. As always, you can find us on Twitter or on Instagram at Runners of the Bay. Please subscribe out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating and review. We hope you have a wonderful, safe, healthy, happy Thanksgiving, and we will talk to you soon.